Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hey, welcome to Drive-by Cinema. We're taking a bit of a week off in this festive period, but we thought we'd leave you with a Christmas treat you can call it that. These are offcuts and things that hit the edit floor over the last 20 or so episodes. Things that we said that weren't totally germane to the film, but I kept around because I thought they might be funny. So here they all collected together, and next week, normal service is resumed, and we'll be reviewing Midsummer. but until then, have a happy festive winterval. Have fun. So, Richard, are you still in lockdown where you live? I'm in Greater Manchester, yes, so I am technically in enhanced lockdown. But it's not as severe as the initial lockdown, is it? I don't know, I don't understand the rules. I don't go out anyway. I think... Oh, okay. I wear a mask, I I grab parcels (laughs) from downstairs with a a hook on a pole, and yeah, I I generally stay safe. Have you decided... uh, Is your shopping now delivered to Uh, you? Well... Delivered is a strange word to use, but yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I have it, you know, in vacuum-packed boxes. That so does that mean Ocado is giving you a delivery slot? Who do you, who do you shop with? Uh, well, I've been thinking actually about subscribing to one of those box meal providers who send you a cardboard ah. box full of food, and maybe forcing you to do the same, because then we follow the recipe, and then we could compare what the food looks like at the end. Oh, okay. So cooperative but competitive. Yes, yes, something like that. But we'd have to research oh. one that we both wanted to do, and that you could get okay. delivered wherever you are, which is presumably uh, the far well, side of the, the moon. Uh, well, there's no, there are no Ubers up here, so I doubt, very much doubt there's no Deliveroo, so I very much doubt there's delivery boxes. Hello Fresh kind of stuff is what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, but they come by normal parcel post, don't they? Oh, do they? Okay, so great. I think you should be able to get them. That bodes well for their freshness, does it not? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, you got your parcel, it's some fresh food, it's at the post office. Could you come and collect it on Monday, please? You know, I mean... Heck. While you were out, we tried to deliver a parcel, yeah. <laughs> please find your meat decaying in your bin. With your neighbours, the velociraptors. Right. We have digressed. We have fully digressed here. Okay, okay, listen. I'm entertaining... Oh, sorry. Uh, Are we we back on? Because I'm entertaining myself by pushing... You know the the press point, the the button, the press button point on a pen? Yes. Is that what you call it? The the noddle, the, 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 the button? It's a very audio thing to be doing, and I'm sure listeners will love hearing the sound of your pen. Well, we're not putting this in the actual final thing, are we? Because I'm pushing it against my nipple. <laughs> well, now we are. Whilst I, was, whilst I was waiting. I just thought, oh, what am I doing? Anyway, sorry, go on. Levels are good. Clean and green, 9 by 9 on the dials. Yeah, it's pretty good. <clears throat> hello, hello, hello. Yes, I'm perfectly good. Although much louder this time because I've realised that my little podcast mic is uh, bi-directional. It has a front and a back. And 
I've had it the wrong way. You've been speaking into the backside and the top side out of it because it, it said, you know, tilt it maybe thirty degrees from vertical and kind of put the baffle between the top and the front and talk slightly over and into it. But I've been talking slightly over and into the backside rather than the front side. So the top side, I've been getting the same amount of noise. I'd imagine. I don't think that's bi-directional. I think that's unidirectional. So there's three areas of sensitivity. I don't know about the sides. I guess the sides are not actually microphones, are they? I could see you don't want to think about that, Richard. Well, uh, um, maybe you should show me a picture of your microphone, and then it will all make more sense to me. Sorry, was, how was, about that? Was my eloquence lacking just now? Uh, it just whetted my appetite to see it. That's all. <laughs> uh, right, shall we get started? brain is the most powerful supercomputer in the world this is the beyond <laughs> is it is that what you're trying to tell me well kind of when we when, when you described the director of the beyond has yeah you said that he'd made his name using adobe after effects to make short movies yes but i don't think you knew which movie he'd made well, this, Paul, is, this is that movie. It's terrible. It's got the test card. Wow, it's like, uh, do you know in serial killers, like, before they kill, they might, <laughs> I don't know, do some preparatory behaviour. It's like that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he's scouting. Yeah. yeah, he's. Oh my god, he's got like, uh, oh, he's got uh, like uh, pentagons and octagons circling people's eyes and faces in sort of an attempt to in, to indicate facial recognition systems, but in a really shanky way. You know what I think is he keeps putting up a test card. Yes, but every time the test card is on screen. The picture is terrible and you can barely see it. That's right, yeah. The whole point about a test card is you, you put it up there to tune the picture That's to make right, it, like, yeah. pin perfect. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for that chucky egg, Richard. I'm not going to watch the last uh, nine minutes of it, if it's okay. You're not, you're not going to watch it right now, no. No, but we can talk about it in the podcast. No, but it's, it's something... It's something you can say for later, isn't it? It's nice. Well, I've just realised that... You can go away and watch. Yes. Yes. So your day hasn't been you too You just realised what? My day's been pretty terrible too. How about yours? Yeah. Oh, no. I, I had my first run with Gammon. I've never spoken to a Gammon before. Fuck, what happened? Where? Uh, well, the Gammon owned the Washateria that I was in. So I've never really, like... <gasps> like most of our running, running has been with quiche, you know, like homeless, uh, sort of reggae listening, uh, dreadlock wearing revolutionaries who are squatters in Blackpool who come up and ask you for money. When you say no or keep your distance, they start calling you weird, you know. So I, I've had my runners with quiche, left field quiche of our population, but I've never had a runner with the right wing gammon of our population. And he, you know, he was short of breath and pink of face. And he owned the place. He was like, 
And I, I'd just been to go and buy some clothes. I put my wash in, it was like four o'clock. I thought, well, it's half an hour. I'll go and buy some clothes because I need some clothes. And so I popped out and I came back. And about 4.40, I, I, you know, I picked up my wash and put it in the dryers and put two pounds in each dryer uh, to begin my dry. Uh, and he came in at 4.50 when the dryer had just begun. and said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying my clothes. He said, can't you read this notice? I said, yes, it says last wash five o'clock. I said, that doesn't mean it close at five. He says, no, it doesn't. But you're not doing any washing. You are drying clothes. And that sign is for customers only. Get out now. So it was very strange. Yeah, I've never been spoken to like that, like with that tone. Uh, when somebody clearly doesn't... Like when people start speaking to you like that, it's when either when you, you've done something very wrong. Or they think you've done something wrong. You really yeah. offend them in some sort of way. But he, he started out. He started out the conversation with that kind of tone, like "Get out of my shop! Uh, what are you doing? Just drying things in here." Uh, there's a very unclear sign that clearly states that you should be in here, but I'm going to get angry anyway. God, it was terrible. And so, I, like, I had to like quietly point out. I said, "You know, I've just done two service washes in in your shop at four o'clock." Uh, he said, "No, you haven't." I said, "Yeah, I have." I said, "I've just come back." He said, you weren't here at 4.10. It's like, it's very strange. <laughs> I said, did you not check that the, the two washers weren't empty? So I used this one and this one. I said, come and feel them, they're wet. Anyway, so then he continued to be rude or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I, I said, what if I was Asperger's or had uh, some sort of... I said, the way you shouted at me for no reason. I said, it wasn't very considerate, was it? And that made him even worse. So then, because he was coming to close up, you see, he wants to close up at five o'clock. Despite the fact he's written a very unclear sign saying, saying on his front of his shop window, last wash, 5 p.m. Now, does that mean to you, your wash must be finished by 5 p.m. Or you can begin a wash at 5 p.m.? It obviously means the latter, doesn't it? Anyway, so if you can start a wash at five, that means they finish at 5.20, which means you're going to dry for another 20 minutes. So that means people vacate at 5.40, surely or surely not. Oh God! So, so anyway, so then there's a very terse silence where I waited like ten minutes for my for my drying to clean, and whilst he was waiting, like hovering to 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 lock up the shop, it was awful. Yes, never have an argument with that angry fifty eight year old Richard. So, or just just avoid them. That sounds exciting. I mean, no. <clears throat> you're you're over a barrel though, aren't you? Your clothes are in the dryer. Precisely. You can't just leave the shop. <laughs> this is, you know, this is what I thought was so unreasonable about it. Is okay. The signage itself, <laughs> there is a slight debate. Well, there's not really. It's ninety nine percent indicative that you you can come in and begin a wash at five o'clock. Is it not? Yeah. It doesn't say closing time five. And in any case, it wasn't even five o'clock at this point. You know what I mean? But yes. So, so yeah. I mean, but the fact is, you know, I had just paid. Uh, to put things in his in his dryers, and he was he was literally trying to barrel me out of the shop. He was like, "Get your stuff out of the dryers and go," kind of thing. So, <laughs> luckily, there are there are two more laundrettes in the town. So. I was going to say, I hope you're not going to patronise his shop again. But also, this speaks of a universe in which this guy has a problem with people bringing wet laundry to use. only to to use the dryers. Well. He doesn't because there's a well. Well, I had used I had used his washing machines anyway, which was beside the point. But of course, it's a laundrette, and of course, it, it does say you know you can dry your clothes here, but people with the washing machines 
he, customers have customer washing washing customers as a phrase have priority. So it's not it's not that uh, it's not that it's a particular tone. It's like oh well yeah that sign's just for paying customers. He said by paying customers I think he means people using the washing machines. So it was the fact that his sign was only there for certain people. And uh, there was an implicit assumption that we would all understand that this sign was for the washing machines and not for the dryers. So, very strange. But it wasn't, and it wasn't what he said, it was just a particular tone he took with me, which was, uh, right from the beginning, was really, really, you know, like he was talking to the shit on his shoe. It's nothing. Yeah. So, anyway. So, so. Well... Uh, That's my drama for the day. I um, hope you had drier balls. Well, look, I bundled, at four fifty, like four fifty-seven. I bundled out of there. Like he was like, he was like, no, no, actually, no. You might as well wait now. I was like, no, it's okay. And I kind of bundled out there with, with maybe five minutes left on my drying cycle. So my duvet is still a little bit damp. But what can you do? It's quite embarrassing because he'd locked up at this point. It was a double lock. And he had to open the door for me. <laughs> you're, trying, you're trying to storm out, but you couldn't get yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> like my Hollywood exit would be like, I was like, right, okay, I'm out, I'm out. You know? and, I was, and I couldn't open the door, so he had to come and open it for me. But it would have been, it would have been interesting if two middle-aged men had come to blows locked in a laundrette. You know, <laughs> slamming people's heads between the dryer the dryer doors kind of thing you, know, you can imagine all kinds of like WWF action going on in there fat middle aged men fighting is actually some of the, it's, it's, it should be a new form of TV it's really hilarious to watch people barrel over each other <laughs> it's in the pub in, uh, in China and like the expats they're always like the fat fat middle aged white expats always start punching each other like at half past 11 on a Friday night. And uh, it's funny to watch. Sorry, Richard, you want to get on with business? Yes, go on, now then. Why do, why do they start, though? What, what's their problem? I don't know, they just seem very angry, generally. Angry people. Yeah. That'll do, pig. That'll do. You call me pig? Okay. I did call you pig. It's not totally unwarranted. No, right. no, potentially warranted. <laughs> uh, I presume I, that's a movie you've seen. No, do they not allow? I, I'm, I'm so starved of contact. Abusive terms are welcome. Oh gosh, you're like a prostitute. Yes. You can't okay, tell I'll, fear from can love. Can we clap within one minute, please? Okay. Yeah. Why? Well, we need to do the claps. Within one minute. Well, no, because otherwise it'd be hard to find them. Are you ready? Okay, okay. You say it. I've got to turn my headphones down because I can pick it. I pick it up on my microphone from my headphones, and then I have to noise gate it all out. It's really annoying. I need some proper headphones, like studio phones. Wow. I'm going to turn the volume down on my headphones because you can hear your voice in my headphones. Yeah, I was just saying exactly the same. Yeah, I just I didn't hear because I was getting to get a getting up to get a. Uh, throw away an apple core. Okay, I think that should be much quieter. Can you talk now? I can talk now. And I can talk more if you like. 
I can give you the lyrics to Too Much Too Young. I don't think it can hear me. I don't think it can hear you, rather. I'm, I'm, uh... You've done too much, much too young. You're married with a kid when you could be having fun with me. Richard, you seem to be in boisterous mood tonight. No gimme, no gimme, no gimme. Have you had too much no Timothy Taylor's? What does no more pickney mean? I don't know. What is this movie called Pig that you're referencing? It's called Babe, isn't it? It's about a pig. Oh. It's about a pig that becomes a sheepdog. Right, literally. I, crazy. Richard, I literally have a page of notes, most of which are from Wikipedia, about who the director oh, is. Oh, good. No, you can do all of the serious stuff, and I'll, and I'll do the shit that I made up stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, what did we chat about on Skype this week? Because usually I just like go back in our Skype conversation and insert random crap if we're stuck for time. We haven't really spoken much this week because I've been <clears> a bit of a fugu. You've been busy moving house, by the sound of it. Oh, yeah, I got, I, my offer got accepted. But now, of course, there's a big queue for solicitors. So, ah. so I don't know. Conveyancing. I know someone who works at a solicitor that does conveyancing. Maybe I could... But they, they are in Manchester, but I don't know. They, it's a very local thing, I think. It is a local thing, isn't it? Isn't it local? It is, yeah. so. It's parochial. That's what it is. Like this bloody movie. But, you see, and then she said, oh, well, I need to know your solicitor's name by Monday. I thought, well, not until I've had it, uh, not until I've had my home buyer's survey done. So, she wants me to instruct a solicitor before I found out there's lots of things wrong with the property. I'm not doing that. It's putting the carp before the horse. All shorts is a bloody commission, do you know what I mean? I, I don't know what it's that phrase means. Me Something's about a fish with prostitutes. The apple before, it's the apple before the carrot stick, I think, is the phrase you're looking for. You put oh. the apple before if the you, carrot stick. If you cut the core out of an apple with one of those cores... It's poisonous, yes. You could push a carrot through it to make an exciting treat for the children. For the donkeys, yeah. yeah. No, the point is, if you cut out the apple cores and blend them, it would be a highly poisonous... thing, wouldn't it? it well, I don't know about highly Quite poisonous. poisonous. A little bit poisonous. But they do contain arsenic, don't they, I think? Be or cyanide. Is it cyanide? Something yeah. like that. Because I've just downloaded a new app called Picture This, which is, recognises all plants. Recognises <gasps> flora, but not fauna. I think you have to download a different one if you're going to recognise bumblebees. And uh, there's a country park nearby. So uh, I now know my elms from my maples from my <laughs> beaches. That's actually quite exciting. Uh, are we... I'm middle-aged, aren't I? <laughs> it is really... Oh, you'd be amazed. The uh, dogworts and the uh, the raspberries and... and uh, what's the other one? Roseberries. There's all kinds of different berry plants you'd find in... in but how close do you have to get to them? Just any, any distance, it'll recognise it for you. Have you ever seen any giant hogweed, Paul? The, uh, hogweed was uh, a principal kind of thing of my thing today my snapping it was all a lot of it was hogweed yeah why not giant hogweed though no giant hogweed has got the the corrosive sap really that gives you blisters i didn't know that yes and when exposed to sunlight it activates it and um so you're very dangerous giant hogweed it's a considered a pest i think you have to report it or something giant Giant hogweed. It's like hogweed, but... I'll find out what kind of hogweed I... I think I've just got lesser common spotted hogweed. 
Does it log everything that you spotted? Yes, if you press save. Wow. Six to 63. <laughs> I learned I learned the shape shape and colour of 63 different plants today, Richard. Well, right. I kind of knew some of them. Oh, you mean what from normal knowledge? Tentacle yeah, knowledge is like, that I knew an oak tree. I knew a silver birch. Oaks are easy. they got acorns and stuff. But the maples and the elms are quite similar. Do you know, Can you, did you do an ash? There were no ashes, no. I wouldn't know oh. ash if I saw one. If it fell on you. If it fell on me, yes. Whoa, nice biosphere. You know, there's been a major people apocalypse. An apocalypse of people leaving. I don't know what you call that. People apocalypse? People, people apocalypse? Anyway, you think it was perfect time to grow some weed because there's nobody around. I, I assume that's what she was doing you know, <laughs> in her biosphere. But no, no, she's cultivating bees and other insects to chemosynthesize oxygen from ammonia and get rid of all the nasty uh, alkaline rain. Which is to say that there are no animals as well as people left on the planet apart from insects. Is it, we're, we're led to assume this, aren't we? Well, I guess animals that live high up would be okay, like yeah. mountain goats. Okay, but most... I don't know why she doesn't have a few mountain yeah. goats. She could get cheese and milk could, out of them. So she's not really think, forward-thinking in that respect. But yeah, there's no violent animals left, which I guess is a kind of blessing, really, isn't it? I don't know what she's so upset about. We can be thankful, can't we, for not having to deal with like bears and I, I think there are worse animals than bears, though, aren't there? Dolphins, in particular, are particularly nasty animals, aren't they? They're nasty because people think that they're not nasty. I think people think they're friendly. And Whereas, really, they're extremely rape-prone, <laughs> aren't they? The males are, are uncontrolled with prehensile penises, and they, they drag their victims, female dolphins usually, but not always, down into their rape caves and have their rape way with caves. them, often in gangs. Oh, dear. Yeah. And do they rape anything else where there are not sufficient female dolphins to, to be to be, to be. I don't think they're fussy. So they're known to have sex with fish heads, if, uh, and presumably people. In fact, we know that they have had sex with people. Some people have talked and written about dolphins Dolphin having rape. sex with them. Yeah. Wow. I don't think in the cases of those people writing it was rape. I think they were willing oh, please, participants. Please. Let's not go towards this uh, towards this this topic in particular. Let's stay on violent animals. Are there any other animals that maybe we think are cute but really aren't? Any of the monkey monkey? It's the monkeys, monkeys isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because it's of their intelligence, ah. Paul. You know, you, you you can't outwit a monkey because they're, they're witful. Yeah, so if I left my little 12-year-old daughter, sorry, my 12-month-old daughter, you know, oh, what a cute little monkey, go and play with the monkey, would my, would my little toddler be safe? I don't think so. They're prone to eat uh, the genitals and faces of, their, uh, of anything they think is a threat. Whoa. Or like they just get pissed. So they, off. they might gouge our eyes and stuff like that. Is, oh yeah. Is there one particular monkey or ape that's that's renowned for this? It's a chimpanzee, isn't it, or the bonobo? Well, the chimpanzee is the chimpanzee. Well, the bonobo is a, is a lover, not a fighter, right? The the bonobo is more likely to have sex with you on first sight. But the chimpanzee will eat your face and your eyeballs and probably your genitals. So they know too. to rip out the genitals because it's painful. Yeah, they're clever, aren't they? I don't. Yeah, I guess they might. Well, they definitely. Well, they have, have a, some level of uh, empathy and sympathy, don't they? So if they know if, if if they know their genitals hurt, they can identify them on other, on, a, on other primates and know that that will hurt too. You know, they have that idea of uh, object constancy. They have object constancy, don't they? Chimpanzees—they're very, very clever. 
terrifying, isn't it? Good riddance to them, that's what I say. Bring on the ammonia clouds. It's a bit different in the TV series. And I perhaps won't spoil the TV series. But I'll tell you one other difference that I have between this and the TV series. Is on the TV series, the, the train is depicted as being bigger. And at this point, we're probably going to end up talking about railway gauges again, and I'm sure everyone was dying to hear more about that. <laughs> you know, this train seems to be quite a normal-sized train, doesn't it? There's nothing especially big about it. It's not particularly big. No. Whereas in the television series, there are more sections which seem to be multi-level. I know there was one bit where there wow. there's an upstairs in this, but m- most of the thing is just on one level isn't it it's more multi-level i think in the tv series and indeed i think the train has like a basement level wow so the floor that everyone is walking on there's a sort of engineering section underneath wow where there's a a miniature railway inside the underneath the the sort of cellar the basement bit that can take you up and down the train really quickly oh you know if it's a thousand and one carriages long you need to like the underground little mini underground that the postal service in london used to have yeah, no, exactly like that. Yeah, it's very. Or similar. like on Moonraker, <laughs> you know, Moonraker. Moonraker. I always wanted that little <laughs> electric train set that was in Moonraker. But yeah, so I now remember the correction from last week. Oh well, the Moonraker one is a is a kind of monorail. It is, yeah. It's very cool though. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. It's very cool with the Moonraker monorail. Your correction so, from last week, then. Correction from last week. I mean, I'm here to correct you, Richard. Okay, uh, we talked about gauge spontaneously. Oh, so it's not a correction I feel yes, we did. that I need to correct you on. But then again, when I said John Candy and I actually meant John Goodman, uh, you, you felt the need to mock me, Richard. So I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to hold back here. Look, okay, you said that the gauge was the same all around Europe, and I let that slide. And at the time, I knew that was wrong, because I know that Spain specifically has a different gauge than the rest of Europe. So there. Yeah, but, but apart from Spain, most of Europe, most yeah, of Europe uses but apart from Spain, yeah. standard gauge. But not Spain, Richard. I'm just well, correcting you. Spain use then. Well, it has a different gauge because if you go, you know, you have to change trains from from France to Spain. Well, you, and you don't know what the gauge is in Spain. No, I don't. Yeah, the so, gauge so anyway. in Spain falls mainly on the range of. So it's at this point four foot three to four foot six. four foot three. Yeah. People say the French lost the Industrial Revolution because they were such formal planners and people that liked an academy, you know, an academy for the creation of industrial innovation. This was back in the eight, you know, the 17 whatever, 1780s, 1790s. Whereas in Britain, we were just, oh, let's open a dirty old foundry by this river and uh, make some iron, shall we? And we took a different approach, which was more down to earth, but ultimately more flexible. I mean, I've, it's an old argument that I've talked about before. Is if you take a down-to-earth capitalist approach to things, does it lead to worse or better outcomes? I mean, the, the one that people who don't like this Anglo-American idea of laissez-faire innovation will happen commercially, uh, they argue, you know, about the two rail, the two railroad theory that we built two railroads across America at the same time, financed by different tycoons virtually in the same places, going to the same places. By the time the first one was completed, the second one was rendered useless uh, and a waste of resources. Their argument is that if you planned everything, you would have had two railroads that went to different places. And this is why this this French idea of planning is a great idea. And I have some sympathy to both sides of this argument, but 
the 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 counter argument is to consider, if you will, not the internet, but the f- planned French experience that was Minitel. Do you remember Minitel, Richard, or Prestel in the UK? <laughs> oh, was that Prestel? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the concept. I never used it. I never used Prestel either. But it was a highly planned idea of the future of electronic communication. Was it not? <laughs> a vortices delight, yeah. you know. Uh, all of us with a, with a, a very funky looking console attached to our TV, <laughs> betting on horses and ordering and ordering uh, ordering our holidays without leaving the home. Yeah, uh, what came of it? This wonderful planned experience. Well, it's very forward thinking, isn't it? Yeah. Not like not like Alan Sugar's Amstrad email. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah, a, a home telephone with a little screen attached that the whole family could use True. to send emails. But as an Anglo-American commercial idea of uh, entrepreneurial <laughs> entrepreneurial endeavour, uh, did the whole country have to suffer Alan's idea before it failed? No. Well, why do we have to suffer Alan being held up as some doyen of business? When really all he does is flog, <laughs> flog set-top boxes cheaply. <laughs> So, like I said, I have sympathy for both sides of the argument, but in defence of the nice work capitalism espoused or set out in David Lodge's novels, the the Ironbridge capitalism, Anglo-American idea of innovation, uh, consider, if you will, Minitel for a moment before you decide that we should plan all our tube stations for a hundred to be future proof for a hundred years. I mean, what I would say is that if you think back to the 1850s and the British hospital, the hospital uh, infrastructure, it was a, essential until the National Health Act. H- hang on, hang on. I'm just, I'm just thinking back. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you consider yeah. it. Okay. okay. Yeah, okay. I'm, consider I'm if you now. will. Yeah. Consider if you will, if you're knowledgeable about it. But it was essentially a private infrastructure that didn't work particularly well. But there you go. It's the 1850s. People had cholera. And consider if you'd had at that point said, look, okay, we need to have a fully planned governmental health infrastructure that's good for the next hundred years. This is the virtue of planning. We're not going to build two railroads railroads that go in the same direction. We're going to have hospitals that function correctly. And I think a lot of the arguments about this is, is that, you know, why do we have tube stations that aren't in the right place? Oh, capitalism, because it was it was these different companies that built them. Oh, we can't change it now. So the idea is, you know, if you build an infrastructure, you can't change it. So you need to get it right from the start. Well, if we'd done that with, with you know, hospitals in the 1850s, we would have had institutions that were financed for 100 years that were cutting edge. You know, those cutting-edge areas of, of, of medicine in the 1850s, and they would still be here today. You know, those three cutting-edge areas were phrenology, uh, eugenics, and, of course, homeopathy, weren't they? And those, you know, so, <laughs> so whilst I'm sympathetic to the argument of let's plan uh, governmentally, uh, we have to, I think we have to admit that sometimes simple, simple Anglo-American capitalistic innovation on a ground on a very ground level, can be useful, I think. I don't know what your opinions are on this, Rich. This is very interesting, Paul, but what in the blazing hell has this got to do with... It's got to do with French design aesthetic, <laughs> which is often quite futuristic, but quite planned, you know. That, that's where I came, though. I'm sorry. What's that hugely diversionary? That's interesting. Do you know yeah, how... sorry, a digression. But... Do you know how the Allies and the Americans communicated... Uh, securely during World War Two, 
No? Well, let me say something you're going to disagree with, Richard. Okay. Right. First of all, you're probably going to go Navarro, Indian. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say Indian. I just said it. I didn't mean sir. A Native American language, yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely delicious that you've painted yourself into this corner without my assistance. Yeah. Navarro, yeah? Navajo. Navajo. <laughs> Except no, no, that's not that's not how we did it. No, wait, slow down. Okay, <laughs> but famously, uh, taking messages from France to England, and you've disagreed with me once on this, so I'm going to tell you again because you probably forgot what you disagree with, disagree with me about it. Okay, but they need to get some really vital information out from the French resistance to England on mm-hmm. the ground, so to speak. And the way they did it is, you know, how the nearest point from England to France is what eleven miles. Okay, yep. On a quiet day, they would play brass band music on the French side and have blind people sat on the English side, you know, on park benches, listening for the sounds. And it wasn't the meaning to be translated from the notes, but rather the meaning to be discerned from the wrong notes. They specifically played wrong notes at certain times. And that was the message to be conveyed. This is how conspiracy theories start, isn't it? (laughs) This is like Call My Bluff. Is this conspiracy theory true or false? You both say false here. I, no, I think it's no, very difficult not. to believe, Paul. It's not impossible, though. It isn't impossible. It's certainly a way of transmitting information. It's no very romantic, that. though, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's coding. Well, let me but explain Richard, how... On. Explain. And I'm talking not about... I'm talking here specifically about how the US president, how Eisenhower, Roosevelt, however it was, would communicate with Churchill... And they had, you know, like a, a bat phone, a golden telephone type arrangement. But the way it worked is really clever, I think. So they need some properly random noise, white noise. So they record some white noise and they record it simultaneously onto two records, like vinyl LPs type things. Identical noise. They take these two copies, one stays in London, the other is transported via a very trusted person, you know, uh, to the US, to Washington. And these are put on a very clever machine, which is a gramophone player uh, and a telephone connected up in such a way that when the call is connected, both records start to play at exactly the same time, the same white noise. Now, the speech at either end is uh, multiplexed with the white noise uh, in such a way that if you listened to the result, you just hear a, a white noise that was going up and down a bit, but you wouldn't be able to tell it human speech at all. And at the other end, when that signal arrives, they subtract the white noise on the record that they're playing at exactly the same time, of course. And they're left with the original speech. And you do the same at either end, and they can have a telephone conversation. And because it's completely keyed to that bit of white noise on those two records, it's unbreakable, because it's genuinely random. There's no way of uh, breaking, of decrypting that without those records. And that's the mechanism that was used so that Churchill could speak to the president during the war. That's extraordinary. I, I thought you were going to say they had a really massive tuba. <laughs> <laughs> a 
could go across the Atlantic. No, that's that's clever. It is clever. Yeah, that's really clever. Did you just out of interest, Dabs? Did you know that that in there's a piece of technology that was developed during World War Two as um it was a, a an anti-submarine anti-U-boat measure. I think I think that's correct. Um, it involved um, channel some sort of channel hopping um, in ra- radio and. Uh, that was developed in, during during the war, um, and then it was shelved and not patented at the time. Um, and then somebody later on found it and used it, and it's now the basis of Wi-Fi. It's now how, how Wi-Fi broadband routers work. Yeah, the most amazing thing about that is who invented it. Hedy Lamar. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's where I was going with that. Oh, you do already know. There we go. Sorry, yeah. All right. yeah. not so interesting then. Although I still think it's interesting. It, it is. Interesting. It is an interesting fact. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's that's all. That's all manner of brilliant. I did have a response as well, Richard, because you asked me when I was in refer- reference to medievalism. You asked me why medieval knights are always depicted fighting snails. Ah, well, now, I did ask you that, but I edited it out of the podcast and the bonus episode, so nobody knows that that I asked that. Really? I'm sure I heard that. I'm sure, because it reminded me. in real life, just not on the recording. Oh, okay. So, perhaps just for clarity, I asked you when you said about your uh, studies in medieval Hmm. stuff, I asked you about the mystery of illustrations that are seen in medieval documents of knights fighting snails giant snails yes and nobody seems to know why that's right yeah did you did you already know that nobody seems to know why well yeah because yeah you see people saying why is this and people saying we don't know <laughs> yeah that's right i've got a bit of a response though um if you right. if you want um if you want to hear it because you're right well, the answer yeah. is nobody knows for sure why that's that's the oh, that's the honest answer the reason why nobody knows why is because these um, drawings, well, yeah, pictures of knights fighting snails are um, almost all, well, they are always marginalia. They're always in the margins of texts. Because of that, they're not for, they don't form part of the sort of textual record of, of you know, the official document that that, uh, that was being made, such as, which would have been something like um, a Psalter, you know, a book of Psalms or a book of prayers or maybe even a Bible. They were made by the scribe in the margins of the texts, and we don't usually know why specific symbols appeared, because they would have been part of the usually the satire or or social commentary that was that was made up of signs and signifiers that were relevant at the time. So they are a mystery because of that, but it is one that, for understandable reasons, has has, has fascinated and perplexed scholars for many years. There are a number of theories, though. One I quite like is the idea that um, that, that a snail is a soft, fleshy creature that has an armoured part of itself. And a knight is also a soft, fleshy creature that has put on a suit of armour. And it's possibly a reference to um, a knight being an unnaturally armoured creature fighting a naturally armoured creature the, the marginalia would have been written by us would have been made by a scribe during their kind of downtime and they're normally quite naughty in character they're usually quite um critical i mean these days it would be crudely drawn cock and balls presumably that would be the equivalent sort of like that yeah yeah but the thing is they got away with it though because the, these these manuscripts were incredibly expensive because they were they were made on vellum which is um a, a treated 
animal skin, usually Human a calf skin. skin. Oh. Well, <laughs> you could, but that would be really expensive, probably. And the the writing materials, such as the inks and the dyes and the the pens, pens were usually made with squirrel hair for the bristles. And the time of the monk, you know, paying for the the for the time of the monk, as, as it usually was to write, the, the, to actually do the copying, was very very expensive. So you're not likely to get somebody to have, you know, done your nice new family heirloom prayer book and then do a big picture of a knob in in it. They they wouldn't. I don't think they'd get away with that somehow. Um, however, if you do codified things like a knight fighting a snail, then people probably wouldn't think much of it. Um, so anyway, that's one possible reason is the uh, is the, it was the monk making a reference to it doesn't matter how hard you think you are, you people with your wealth and your your knights in your suits of armor, you're you're really you know you you're just like a snail. Some a people think snail. it was a reference to death, but my favorite one of all is um, a, somebody um, I'll, whose name I'll give you in a moment um, wrote in the mid nineteenth century that it may be a reference to the story of Lazarus in the Gospels, where Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead because you know snails live close to the ground sometimes they go underground and they come out of the ground so there was that because they quite often appear in in um, illuminated bibles close to the the sto- the text where there's the story of Lazarus and the reason i really like that is because that theory was was first written down in 1850 by a french textual critic called le comte de bastard <laughs> which i kid you not means Count Bastard. <laughs> that was got my vote. <laughs> that's that's his name. Um, so yeah, there's also I also learned that there's apparently loads of um, similar marginalia of um, rabbits fighting each other, and some of them look absolutely mad. <laughs> they really do. I've seen. <laughs> I've even seen one of a rabbit fighting a um, yeah rabbit fighting another <laughs> rabbit who's riding a snail with the face of a man. <laughs> which is absolutely priceless oh that's the other thing as well is whenever the knights are depicted fighting the snails the knight is always losing to the snail <laughs> that's another thing um, so the snails aren't always giant sometimes they're kind of really tiny sometimes they're kind of the same size as the knight and sometimes they are massive but they're, the knight is always losing to the snail which could also be another pointing out like it doesn't matter how you know hard and wealthy you think you are you're still going to die nature's still going to defeat a, you a snail the size of a knight is still a giant snail you understand that's that? a pre- unless it's a very small knight but yeah yeah you're right it's a it's a pretty big snail i mean let's face anybody seeing a snail that big would be fairly freaked out wouldn't they but yeah. count anyway, bastard that's, yeah count mm. bastard yeah or the count of bastard and you can't way, really you avoid know. the criticism can you you know bastard by name bastard, bastard by nature <laughs> yeah it's not even bastard it's not that, you know, really his parents are confirmably as a bastard <laughs> Here's a lockdown thing. Toy Wilcox, have you seen the wonderful... This is a total aside here. Have you seen the wonderful videos that Toya Wilcox has been putting on YouTube during lockdown? No. It's no, Toya no. and Robert's Sunday lockdown lunches. And it's her, Toya Wilcox, and her husband, Robert Fripp, who, of course, is the guitarist and leader of King Crimson. And they're doing the... They do these very short amusing little vignette videos of, of things like them running around their garden wearing tutus and stuff like that and they appear to have a bank vault in in the cellar of their house and you know it, 
anyway, that's that's an aside. But Toya and Robert's <laughs> Sunday lockdown lunches videos are fantastic. But also, I didn't really like all those little black blackout moments between scenes because it made it quite hard to continue continuously masturbate to this movie. Yeah, did it? Was what? it, was Why it is that, that kind of film? Let's say you were fixated on one of the actors, you know, and then suddenly cuts out for two or three seconds. It's quite right. difficult, isn't it? If, if, supposing, hypothetically. <laughs> Pause! Yeah, I suppose it would it would throw you off your stroke, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> they weren't quite, they were quite uh, short blackouts, though. They were, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, I don't, I, I would have thought you wouldn't have noticed them. You, you may have had your eyes closed for that period of time quite easily. Thank you.